0: Welcome back, everybody. Hope your week is off to an amazing start. We have had some pretty crazy weather this week between highs of 30 and super warm, and then fall weather and crazy rainstorms, which knocked our power out for like a good four hours. So, I am hoping that I'm going to be able to upload this and nothing's going to go wrong with the power going out and our Wi Fi and all that good stuff. So, and that's what's going on over here. So hope you guys are amazing. I am doing a Q&A episode today. I went on Instagram and asked you guys if you had any questions that you wanted me to answer on today's show. And a bunch of you submitted some really great questions. So we're going to go over those today. Unfortunately, because the questions go away after 24 hours and I did not screenshot them, I couldn't get everybody's names. So I apologize for that. But I typically like to say You know your first name, who submitted the question, but I don't have that data. And there were actually quite a few questions that came through. And again, because it all goes away after 24 hours, I was not able to see all of them. So today we're going to chat about infertility. We're going to chat about SIBO, and we're also going to chat about getting back on track after you fall off the wagon or after you've come back from vacation and feel like you just can't get it together. Those are the three questions that we're really diving in today. So question number one, it actually, it really wasn't much of a question. Somebody just submitted the word infertility. And so let's dive into that. I figured I would just kind of share some, some stats around infertility and also just give you some guidelines of how you can really move forward and support your pregnancy journey. And so when I was doing some research, I came across some really interesting stats regarding infertility. And so just to be clear, Infertility, what that really means is unable to get pregnant after at least 12 consecutive months of unprotected sex. So that's what really infertility means. And the data that I was looking at, there are 7.5 million women aged 15 to 44 that have impaired ability to get pregnant or carry a baby to term. And 6.9 million women aged 15 to 44 have used infertility services. That's roughly 11.3%. Now, why age 15? That definitely seems pretty young. I don't know why. I mean, I think this is based on specifically married women and perhaps in some cultures and some of the data that was collected, women can marry at the age of 15. So I think that's why it's included. And also, there are some other stats 10 to 15% of couples in the US are infertile, and then up to 13% of female infertility is caused by cigarette smoking regular or abnormal ovulation accounts for approximately 25% of all female infertility problems. And chlamydia causes about 4 million to 5 million infections annually in the U.S. And if that's left untreated, it can cause infertility. And about one third of couples in which the woman is older than 35 years have fertility problems. So Just some really interesting stats that I thought I would pull up and share with you so that you don't feel alone in this journey, because I do know that so many of the women that I have coached through their fertility journey, you know, you definitely feel alone. And so if there's one piece of advice I can really offer is that I really do hope you seek out support and you really find a support network and a community of women that you can connect with and to also recognize that no one's person journey is going to be the same, right? Everybody's journey is different and what one woman experiences is going to be different from yours or how their treatment went will be different from yours and really just recognize and, and don't compare. You know, that's, I think where so many women feel sometimes really hopeless is that they're seeing like all these other women having great success or whatnot. And, you know, it can really be, It can really be overwhelming and exhausting to just constantly compare yourself to everybody else's journey and recognize that you got to go about it in your own way. And I always say that, you know, there is a time and a place for everything to work out. And if we can really just kind of find the grace and the flow in that, it can really make for the process to be that much easier. And so just to go back to some podcast episodes that you might want to dive into, Podcast episode 64, I do speak about some of the best foods and herbs that you can include in your diet to boost fertility and support hormonal health. Podcast episode 25, we talk about the menstrual cycle and understanding your cervical mucus and all that good stuff with Nicole Harlow. There's some really great articles on my site about coming off hormonal birth control. You can also download and purchase our how to come off hormonal birth control guide, which lists all our protocols and everything in there. So that might be something that you're dealing with and, I can't remember what episode it is, but I interviewed my girlfriend, Megan Telpner, and I will never forget in that interview, she was saying that when it comes to planning for pregnancy and supporting your fertility, it starts right now, like regardless of your age. And I know that can be sometimes like crazy if you're listening to this and you're like 19 or you're 18 or whatever, and you're thinking like, well, I don't plan on getting pregnant for like 10 or 15 years. That process really does start now. So if you're on hormonal birth control and if you're Not taking care of yourself, and you're not eating well, and you're not managing your stress, and you're, you know, going out and partying, and all of the things, it can really have an impact on your fertility. And the better you can take care of yourself right now, regardless of your age, it's going to benefit your fertility journey, your pregnancy, your hormonal health in the future. So, some things to really keep in mind when it comes to supporting fertility, foods that can help natural infertility treatment obviously you want to focus on organic foods because pesticides can often affect estrogen and other hormones. And, you know, there's a lot of xenoestrogens that we really want to be conscious of. So it's really important to choose organic as much as you possibly can. And the organic farming process just ensures that any pesticide use on crops are more from natural ingredients without things like arsenic and don't include, you know, conventional or synthetic pesticides. Wild caught fish. So your omega-3s are really, really great. And again, I do dive into some other foods and herbs in podcast episode 64. So you can always go back and listen to that. But I'm just sharing some new stuff with you guys today. So wild-caught fish and your omega-3s, so, so, so important because they can help reduce inflammation. And this is so important because a lot of women that I coach personally, I've had the pleasure of working with so many women who have had issues with infertility. And of all the couples that we've coached, they have all gotten pregnant. And now I'm always conscious of sharing that because I don't want to say like we have a hundred percent success rate but based off the couples we have worked with, it's been really, really successful. And the reason that is, is because we're using food as the foundation. And many of the women that I've coached have also had issues with weight and they're holding on to excess weight. And if you have that excess weight, it can really increase inflammation in the body. And then that can actually cause issues with implantation, especially if you're doing IVF or something like that. So we've had some IVF couples that we've worked with and supporting their weight loss journey and obviously their hormones and doing the Dutch hormone test and then getting on them a really good strategic supplement protocol and an anti-inflammatory diet, like that alone has been a profound benefit on supporting their fertility journey. So omega-3s can really help reduce inflammation, which can promote fertilization and implantation, which is really important. And research also suggests that a diet rich in omega-3 fatty acids is so important to help regulate ovulation, improve egg quality, and even delay the aging of your ovaries, which is really, really great. So I always recommend, I mean, fertility or not, omega-3s are so important because they also support brain health and heart health and they help with joint pain and whatnot. So really important. And they're just such a good healthy fat that your hormones need them in order to function. Vitamin E-rich foods are going to be really great as well. Vitamin E is critical for so many hormones and proper functioning of the endocrine system. Vitamin C is so amazing because it does help to trigger ovulation women. It can also increase sperm in men. So vitamin C-rich foods like grapefruits or other citrus fruits or red peppers, kale, these are all really great sources. And then of course, focusing on foods that are rich in folate. So folate or folic acid, which is basically a B vitamin. This helps the body build new cells and it can prevent birth defects. So... Increasing your folate intake is going to be really great. Perhaps you want to look deeper into folate and see if you have any genetic issues around folate and folic acid. And it might mean that you want to supplement with the, so it's the MTHFR gene, I think that you want to really look at. So that might be something that you want to look at, but foods that are naturally rich in folate, your green leafy vegetables, beans, citrus fruits, these are really great. And then your cruciferous vegetables, so important your broccoli and your cabbage and your Brussels sprouts. These are so great because they have indole 3 carbonyl, otherwise known as I3C, and this helps your liver metabolize estrogen. So if you've got any estrogen dominant issues going on or high amounts of estrogen, you want to make sure you're detoxing that efficiently and having those cruciferous veggies are going to be great for that. Also, this is kind of funny. I will never forget back in nutrition school hearing that zinc is for the dink. So that's what you want zinc for. It's actually beneficial for both men and women because of the zinc. And it's really great for reproduction. So you guys have maybe heard me speak about seed cycling before. So during the first half of your cycle, from day one to day 14 of your cycle, you want to include flax seeds and pumpkin seeds because they support estrogen. And then from days, basically 15 to day 28 or day 30, you want to include things like sunflower seeds or sesame seeds to support progesterone. So zinc is going to be great and pumpkin seeds are loaded with it. So you can definitely supplement with zinc, but you can also supplement and include the pumpkin seeds. It's going to be really helpful for you. And then foods you definitely want to avoid high-processed, Meats, right? Those are going to be super inflammatory. Being conscious of your consumption of grains and overdoing it on grains because they can play a role with like thyroid and estrogen and really impact those negatively. Plus, they're just so carbohydrate dense. You don't want to be impacting your insulin and your blood sugar, which can also increase inflammation in the body. And then, speaking of sugar, you definitely want to reduce your intake of refined sugars or just eliminate it altogether. Alcohol is going to be really important. It does increase inflammation. It reduces immune function and for women, you know, if you're doing any kind of heavy drinking, it's often associated with an increased risk of ovulation disorders and endometriosis. So being really conscious of that and caffeine, you know, caffeine, it's like a love and hate that we have with caffeine. I do love my caffeine. And to be clear, it's not just the caffeine that I want. I'm not looking for like an energy boost from caffeine. I just love to drink coffee. So I actually drink decaf coffee. And so... If you are a heavy coffee drinker, you really want to be careful with this because it can really play a role with your adrenals and adrenaline and cortisol in the body and cause some hormonal imbalances in that way. Plus it's very dehydrating to the body. It can also lead to some mineral deficiencies and a high consumption has actually been shown to interfere with fertility. There's some interesting stats around that. I'm not so sure. But at the end of the day, I really don't want any of my clients, you know, for infertility or not to be over-consuming caffeine. And this is also why I really do like to do the Dutch hormone test in our practice because then I can really get a clear picture of what's going on with your cortisol and really your adrenal function overall. And then we can really see if caffeine is going to be something that really helps you or, you know, on the flip side, is really being detrimental. So for example... One of my recent clients, we got back her Dutch test recently and her cortisol was through the roof. So she had enough cortisol within the range right when she woke up in the morning, which was good because cortisol is what helps you get up in the morning. But then literally within that like two-hour post-wake-up, her cortisol was way, 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 way off the charts. So we were curious, you know, my team and I were like, okay, what's going on here with her morning routine? Like, is she super stressed in the morning and rushed in the morning and causing her cortisol to go like pretty much haywire? What is her sleep like? And for the most part, her morning routine was actually really good. The thing that she was doing was she was having coffee in the morning and she has coffee with, you know, good quality organic coffee, but even still that doesn't matter. Her cortisol is so high at that post wake up, that two hour post wake up. So I really wanted her to take the caffeine out. So we're slowly weaning her off caffeine and we're going to get her on to decaf or introduce something like dandy blend or do some, really good like healing mushroom elixirs and cacao like things like that something that she can replace it with so she still has that like warm cup of you know something in the morning that's still very satiating and nourishing but that's not going to impact her adrenals in the way that it currently is. So this is why doing the Dutch test can be so great because you can really get a clear picture of what's going on with your cortisol. And a lot of people do think that their cortisol is like bottomed out, like totally flatline when it's actually can be the opposite. And it's quite really, really high. But over time, if we didn't see what was going on with her cortisol, then what can happen over time is that, yes, your cortisol will like hit its peak and then it will bottom out and completely flatline. So we want to get to it before that even happens. Okay. So a few other things, you know, outside of refined sugar and processed meats and grains and caffeine and all that kind of stuff. Being conscious about drugs, so, you know, weed, marijuana, it's definitely something that I know I've worked with so many clients recently that are looking to support their anxiety in their sleep and they're really overdoing it with the marijuana. So it can negatively affect fertility by making ovulation more difficult each month. So just be really conscious with that. In terms of fertility promoting supplements, now, of course, this is so bio-individual. And so this is why, number one, like I recommend go back to podcast episode 64 because I do talk about some herbs there. But really when it comes to supplementation, like Outside of your generic things, like for example, vitamin C, a good B complex, your vitamin E, zinc, like those are going to be really great in your omega-3s. Outside of that, this is where it can really be individual. So it's hard to say exactly with supplementation. Again, doing something like the Dutch test where you can really see what's going on with your hormones. You know, if your estrogen is too low or if your estrogen is too high, like you don't know that unless you test it. And then, then we can really see, do we need to detox that estrogen and actually lower it? Or do we need to increase your estrogen and introduce some specific herbs and supplements that can actually increase it? So you never know unless you test. And if you're not testing, you're kind of guessing and then same with like progesterone, right? Progesterone is so essential, of course, for pregnancy. And so we want to see like are you too high? Are you too low? Now, of course, you can go to your doctor and you can get blood work done and you can ask for your hormones to be tested. Absolutely. That's definitely the first place to start. And you want to make sure that you're testing on the right days of your cycle not just going into your doctor's office and testing any random day. That is something that I notice very frequently that happens. And I will always ask my clients, you know, they'll say to me, oh, I went to my doctor, and got my my hormones tested. And basically what's happening is they're just walking in on a random Tuesday saying, hey, test my hormones. And then the doctor does it, but you're not actually testing on the specific days of your cycle. So you can really see the estrogen to progesterone ratio. And so this is why, number one, you want to make sure your doctor really knows what's going on with hormones and can test it appropriately and also with blood work you know you're not going to get as detailed as you can through something like urine which is what we do with the dutch hormone testing so with the urine testing, we can actually see your metabolites. And then we can see how well is your body breaking down these estrogens and detoxing them and metabolizing them out of the body? Does your liver need more support? Are you favoring the neutral and good estrogens? Or are you favoring some of those bad, basically cancer causing estrogens? So this is what you can really see with something through urine that you can't see through blood. With your thyroid specifically, oftentimes I do find that this is something that's missed with fertility. So you really do want to look at a full thyroid panel and your thyroid, you can only test it through blood work. There is nothing else that's available to do that. So you do want to do blood work for your thyroid and get a full thyroid panel, not just your TSH. And that will also help give you a really clear picture of what's going on with fertility and hormones. So I hope that that kind of helps and answers the question. You know, it can sometimes be a loaded question because again, we're also bio-individual and I don't know what's going on with somebody's diet and lifestyle and sleep and supplementation. And so this is why, you know, working with women individually is what we do. So we can really help create something specific for your needs. And then lastly, I'm just going to add in here stress. You really want to be conscious of decreasing stress in your life, it can really be a huge solution to infertility. And I know that sometimes it's often on the bottom of everybody's priority list because we just got so much on the go, but it is so crucial to decrease your stress levels overall. And perhaps you want to implement some yoga or meditation or Tai Chi or download things like I think it's HeartMath, the app, and maybe you want to download a yoga nidra. These are all things that can help put you into parasympathetic mode and to really help decrease your stress and support those cortisol levels. Okay, so that is that for our question on infertility. Moving on to our second question, this is about SIBO. So somebody asked, you know, how do I know if I have SIBO? How do I go about testing SIBO? And what is it? So hold on, I'm going to actually search up here real quick on my website because we had a episode all about SIBO. Here we go. It was podcast episode 48. What is SIBO and how to heal it? So definitely go back and listen to that episode. And I will obviously share a little bit of expand on some more details here in this episode, but do go back and listen to that. That's again, podcast episode 48. And so when it comes to SIBO, SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And basically what's happening is when the bacteria in your small intestine become unbalanced and overgrow, this is where you're going to start experiencing symptoms. So symptoms and signs of SIBO can be things like gas, bloating, and diarrhea. It can be abdominal pain or cramping, maybe constipation. It could be perhaps a diagnosis of IBS or IBD. Maybe you have food intolerances such as gluten, casein, lactose, fructose. These can start to, you know, irritate and aggravate you now. Maybe there are some chronic illnesses that are showing up, things like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or diabetes or other autoimmune issues that are happening vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So vitamin, it's specifically vitamin A, B12, vitamin D, vitamin E, there could be a fat malabsorption. So you can actually see this in your stool. So if you have more like very, very, very smelly stools or stools that are actually even floating or the color looks really questionable, then that can be some issues with absorbing fat. If you've got leaky gut, this could be a sign of SIBO. And also if you have some skin rashes and skin irritation going on or something like rosacea that's showing up, these can often be signs that you have SIBO. So if you're experiencing any of this and, you know, a lot of stomach discomfort, then It might be something that you want to dive into deeper. And so basically, you know, I find with a lot of my clients is that what's happening is they're eating a meal and then within a few hours, their stomach is so bloated that they can't even button up their pants. In fact, I will hear from a lot of our clients that, you know, what's commonly happening is they wake up with this like really flat stomach and they feel great when they wake up. And then by the end of the day, they look like they're like seven or eight months pregnant. So even if you don't experience this like extreme abdominal bloating and swelling, any amount of bloating, especially if you're experiencing it on a very regular basis, you know, this is not normal and it can really be a sign of intestinal inflammation. So if you're experiencing, like I said, gas or bloating regularly, or you're dealing with a lot of IBS symptoms, there could really be a strong likelihood that you have SIBO. And so what it is basically I kind of mentioned is that, you know, you have this bacteria in your small intestine that's becoming unbalanced and overgrowing. And so most of our gut bacteria is meant to be located in our large intestine and our colon. This is where the bacteria go on to help break down food. It synthesizes different vitamins and minerals for us, and it helps us to eliminate waste. But when the healthy bacteria normally found in the large intestine and colon, when they begin to colonize into the small intestine, this is when SIBO occurs. And so it can be caused by an overgrowth of otherwise normal bacteria. It's just basically in the wrong place. That's kind of what's happening. And the bacteria this excess bacteria, they feed off of undigested food in your small intestine. And they love, 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 love sugar. So any sugar and simple and complex carbohydrates, starches, even alcohol, they are going to just thrive off of this. So obviously, the number one step you want to take in terms of eliminating SIBO is by getting these foods out of your diet, kind of like a candida protocol. If you've ever been on a candida protocol and candida is you know, specific kind of yeast that can happen in the gut. And again, it's going to feed on all these sugars and complex carbohydrates. You really want to take all of that out of your diet. That's really going to be the first sort of line of defense. And so as these bacteria, as it feeds, it causes the carbohydrates to ferment. And this fermentation process it can either produce hydrogen as a byproduct or it can actually produce methane as a byproduct. And so, or you can actually have both. You can have excess levels of both hydrogen and methane. And that's possible to have both in your digestive system. And so you can do what's called a SIBO breath test. And this is pretty much the gold standard when it comes to SIBO lab testing. It's pretty much the most accurate. It can also help to show you whether you're more hydrogen dominant or methane dominant. But I mean, it can be a little bit cumbersome. So like what I mean is you got to fast for 12 hours. You have to breathe into a small balloon to measure your baseline levels of either the hydrogen and the methane. And then what happens is you'll ingest a small amount of sugar and that sugar will go on to feed the bacteria. And then you'll repeat your breath samples. Typically, I think every like 15 to 20 minutes, and you'll keep doing this for a good three to four hours. And then you'll pay attention to what the levels of hydrogen or methane are. And they might both, again, be dominant. So that might be the case. It might not just be one or the other. And then the other option too, is that you could also do a comprehensive stool test I think the GI map test is looking at something like SIBO, and this is basically like a functional medicine lab that is looking at the flora of the large intestines. Well, the GI map test, it does look at all of this bacteria, fungi, viral, autoimmune, all kinds of markers. It's pretty amazing. We are going to be having availability of it here in our online practice, and then we can ship it out to our clients, and it's going to be really, really wonderful, and putting protocols together around that. And so... If there is typically this elevated level of bacteria, for the most part, you can suspect SIBO. So doing the comprehensive stool test, that's definitely another way to go about it. Otherwise, you know, you might want to just look in doing the breath test. But, you know, with the comprehensive test, you're going to be able to see a lot deeper things. You're going to be able to see how well you're inoculating your gut with good bacteria. You're going to be able to see if there's any candida overgrowth and parasites and things like that. So it might just give you a a more clear picture. So in terms of getting rid of SIBO, like I mentioned earlier, definitely change your diet. You really want to get out simple and complex carbohydrates and sugars and alcohol, and it's just a no-go. Get it out of your diet. And then you do want to go on some sort of gut healing protocol as well as a probiotic protocol. And that is something you can just work with with your practitioner and just introduce some really good gut healing supplements as well as foods. You know, things like bone broths can be really, really helpful. Sometimes with SIBO, you do have to be careful. Probiotics can fuel your symptoms even more and make you more gassy and bloated. So you have to go on the right type of probiotic for you. And also if you are... Drinking things like kombucha or having sauerkraut or kimchi. Again, these are really great and gut healing, but there might be too much probiotic that might be irritating your system. So it's different for everybody, but you do got to pay attention to that. So I hope that that really, really helps and Again, you can go back to episode 48 and we dive in to SIBO in much more detail there with Dr. Jason Piken and you can listen to that episode. Okay, and our last question is all about getting back on track after you've fallen off of the quote-unquote diet wagon or even after returning from a trip. How do you get your shit together basically? <laughs> so, I mean, I can share from my personal experience that... Just you know, recently, we went to Jamaica and it's really what you do while you're away that really can help set the stage for when you get back. So what I mean by that is when Gaytan and I go away, we're not going away to get drunk every day and party and eat bad food and neglect our sleep. And that's not why we're going away. We're going away for the complete opposite of that, to nourish our body, to be in the sun, to actually relax and decompress and sleep and eat the best quality food we can get and find. And staying hydrated, especially if you're somewhere really, really hot and you're in the sun all day. We still take our supplements with us. I bring digestive enzymes. I bring my probiotics. I bring different essential oils with me. I support my adrenals and take my supplements during the day. I still take my magnesium and melatonin and things like that at night. Like Things don't change. I'm still doing all of these things while I'm away the same way I would while I'm home. It's just, you know, might need to navigate the diet and the nutrition a little bit more because, you know, I don't have access to certain things, but in terms of really setting yourself up for, you know, once you've either fallen off the diet wagon or once you've come back from your trip, like it's, it's those simple things that you do every day that really matter. And so, This is often what I find specifically with travel is people go away and they're eating all the bad things and they're not sleeping and they're out and they're partying and they're drinking and they're doing all of the things, you know, I get it. It's like, you're going away and it's this time to like let loose and, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say like live on the edge because staying up late isn't living on the edge. Although maybe it feels like that now for me, but you know, I get it. You go away and you kind of want to like. Just kind of be out of your routine and do new things, but at the cost of what, right? So you just got to be really mindful of that and really support your body when you are traveling and when you're away. Don't neglect your supplements. Don't neglect, you know, supporting your gut. Don't neglect your sleep. Don't neglect your hydration. These things are still so important. And if you can still do those things while you're away, when you come back, you won't feel like shit basically. And if you feel like shit, when you come back, there's a really good chance wanting to get back on track can just be like so much of a slower process. So take care of yourself when you're away. That's one thing. I definitely suggest that you dive into last week's episode, episode number 76. I spoke all about, you know, It wasn't necessarily an episode about getting back on track, but it's really an episode about tuning in, like tuning into your why, tuning into your goals, getting your mindset right about perhaps your cravings or when you're reaching for, you know, snacks and bad food and sugar and chocolate and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a really great episode that might help you to really connect the dots perhaps where you haven't before and to really look at some areas that you haven't looked at before. So I really recommend that you tune into that episode. It could be really, really helpful for you. And I mean, obviously there's like the basic things that I can tell you, for example, don't have junk in your house and make sure that you prep your food and that you plan and prep for your meals. This is really really important and when you're cooking your food, don't just cook for one meal, like cook for two or three days and do batch cooking. Batch cooking is like the biggest savior ever, you know, because then you have food leftover and you can just go into your fridge and kind of grab what you need and it's there and it's all ready for you. So those are some like basic things, definitely. It might be helpful to consider doing sort of a food delivery service for you. That could be really helpful and this way like your meals are prepped for you and you don't have to think about it and then, you know, now that that's out of the way, you can Consider and think about and really prioritizing your sleep and your supplement routine and your exercise and your movement. And what are you going to do for de stressing? And this way. And, you know, sometimes this is what people need to do, right? And there's nothing wrong with doing like a food delivery. I know that when I was writing my book earlier this year, I had food delivery because I spent so much time doing so much food prep and food and recipe testing that it was like, oh my God, I can't do all of this recipe testing and then go and want to make dinner or make lunch and breakfast and all of that. It was way too much. And then especially after doing so much recipe testing for so many months, I didn't even want to look at meal planning or cooking for the longest time. Like I still... I'm not even back 100% to the cooking that I once used to do because it was just a lot to write all those recipes. And so, which I can't wait for you guys to get your hands on. So that, you know, can be really helpful doing the meal prepping and having the food delivery because- it just can free up your time to do some other things. And it's not something that you should feel guilty around. I've had some clients who are like, but I know how to cook. I feel guilty ordering food delivery. And it's like, no, get over it. If you are super busy and you have these big projects on your plate or you're going through a busy month or whatever it might be, think about how you can take some you know, things off your plate to really free up some of your time. And so that's definitely something to consider. And also like it might make sense to kind of grab a friend and get like a buddy on board that you can both keep yourself accountable for. This is huge. This is why I love doing our online group programs. This is why so many of the women in our metabolic reset program, they have this amazing community that they can connect to and they get a lot of support from each other. And it's great. We have women who have already gone through the program earlier in the year who remain in the group and they can help share their experience and their ups and downs and what worked for them. And, you know, they all just connect and share with each other, which is so important. This is often something I find that is so, 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 so missing because we oftentimes feel like we just want to retreat and do things on our own. And we're almost scared to let others in or let others know about our failures and to look bad. And it ends up just becoming this nasty cycle of us not actually getting anywhere because we're not willing to open up and share and be vulnerable and let people come in and actually help. So having a community is so important. People that you trust, who you can rely on. It can really keep you accountable and help support you. It's really, really helpful. So I hope that that helps. Thank you so much, everybody for submitting your questions. You can always send them to me over on Instagram, just direct message me at holistic wellness foodie, and I'll be sure to ask some questions in my Insta stories as well, that you can submit your questions through there. And Stay tuned over on Instagram because in a few weeks, I'm going to share the cover of my book and the book title and give you a little sneak peek at it. I am so, so excited. We are working on some incredible book bonuses that you are going to get for free when you pre-order my book and you're going to get $350 worth of incredible bonuses. So stay tuned for all of that. I'm so excited for it. I literally cannot wait for you guys to get your hands on this book. I've received my advanced copy and Gaytan actually recorded the video of me opening it and I cried and I'm going to share the video with you guys on Instagram shortly. And, it was just so exciting. Like the thought of it right now makes me want to cry because it was such a labor of love to write that book. And the recipes in that book, I'm so incredibly proud of. And more than anything, what I want for women is to just eat ridiculously healthy, good food and food that's going to support their health and their hormones and their vitality and allow them to live a more powerful, happy, joyful life. And that is what food did for me. And I know that that is what it can do for you. And so I'm so excited for you guys to cook up those recipes. So stay tuned. I'll be sharing more details about that very shortly. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. It means so, so much. And our podcast has actually been nominated for podcast of the year and voting closes tomorrow, which is October 9th. So we are going to share the link where you can vote over in today's show notes. So head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 77. And you can click the link there. Give us a vote. If you love the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast, we would really appreciate your support. So thanks everybody so much for being here. I'll chat with you all next week. Enjoy the rest of your week.